When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Football Social Daily in the wake of a bad night for Manchester United at the Gdansk Stadium. A 1-1 draw and an epic penalty shootout with David De Gea missing the decisive spot kick that handed the Europa League trophy to Villarreal. We're going to be speaking to former Manchester United midfielder Alan Tung shortly to get his view on the game. But before that, we're going to hear from Nal McCorn and Marley Anderson, who are on today's podcast. How are you doing, boys? Morning, Jim. Morning, Marley. Morning. Not too bad. Late night for all of us, particularly me. Later than anyone wanted, wasn't it? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Um, Manchester United have now become the only team to ever be knocked out of the Champions League, the Europa League and the European Super League in the same (laughs) season. And they've done that to a team with a population of pretty much half of what fits into Old Trafford on a weekly basis. So it has been a poor night. The game finished 1-1 after a lacklustre performance from Manchester United. Combative, organised and compact performance from Villarreal. So we're going to pick over the bones of that game before we speak to Alan in a minute, who will no doubt be hugely disappointed by that result. I mean, first off, Marley, an amazing achievement for Villarreal. We talked about the population of the town. They are the Spanish Burnley. I mean, they did pretty well. (laughs) Whoa. I don't mean that with any disrespect at all. It's just in terms of the way they play and the status of the club, they've done brilliantly to get to the Europa League final. And then they were huge underdogs going into this game. So credit to them for playing the way they played, having a game plan and ultimately lifting the trophy. Yeah, the... um... They they got some good players. I mean, they they know how to to keep it to keep it sort of scrappy and and tight. And you seen the way they played that sort of four four two system is similar to how Atletico played um, the last few years until this season when they changed it a little bit. Um, but you see Villarreal, you know, the, the, it's two banks of four minimum, and then you like, go and then go and break us down. Mm. Will, I mean, especially when they scored as well, they went a little bit deeper. And Man United never really looked like scoring, and it didn't make for a very good game by any means. But I mean, you look at the, you go through the team, and you know, Foyth is a centre back playing right back, so he's he's got no, mm. he's got no ability to go forward. He's there to defend. He's there to stop Rashford. He, he's doing one on one with Rashford, and Rashford mm. had a poor game. And Foyth um, was beat up as well for most of it with a blood nose. And yeah. He had a bandage on his head and still performed really well. Yeah, he was he was pretty decent, and then. You know, I think he's still on loan from Spurs, isn't he? So, mm. bit of a culture shock for him when he wins the Europa League, goes into the Champions <laughs> League, and then he's got to go back to Spurs, and they're off to you know the Arsenal Zagreb in <laughs> in two weeks' uh, time to start the uh, qualifying for the Conference League or whatever it is. But 
you know, they, they, they've got some good players, Villarreal. Um, they've signed really well. I think they got Parejo from uh, Valencia and Rulli from Sociedad when they had money troubles, I think. Yeah. So, like, they, they sort of cherry-picked their best players and, you know, I think they got Moreno from Espanyol. They're, they're not a big spending team. Capu from Watford, I mean, mm, yeah. you know what I mean? We've seen these players go around. They're not the sort of headline names, but they've got a plan and obviously with the manager, um, they've got a guy who knows how to win that competition. And he proved it again. I mean, strange, uh, strange game. Pretty. I mean, if somebody had, had blew the first whistle and then said, "Right, lads, go and have a penalty shootout," I don't think anyone, <laughs> anyone would have uh, been against that because it was awful. But um, they got it done in the end, and it's classic uh, good evening, Emery, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to criticise Villarreal for their tactics in that Nile, but they played to their strengths, and it was up to Manchester United to break down Villarreal and. With the wealth of talent that Manchester United have going forward, they should have been able to do that, shouldn't they? They should have been able to find the breakthrough. Yeah, they should. But I think it's uh, you know an indictment of Manchester United's season on the whole. And I've been quite lucky to sort of watch United in the flesh a few times this season and just drag it back to the game a couple of weeks ago against Fulham at Old Trafford, where Manchester United took the lead through a ridiculous goal from Cavani. Uh, but then they just couldn't find the second. Mm. And, and Fulham were poor on the day, in all fairness. Manchester United should have scored again. They had the talent on the pitch to do so. They just couldn't find a way through. And Marley will remember this game. This is also a game under Solskjaer, but from a couple of seasons ago, at St James's Park, where Manchester United had all of the possession, yet Newcastle scored a goal from Matty Longstaff from outside the box. It wasn't a sucker punch, but that was just United unable to break down Newcastle when they had the majority of possession. And if you look at last night, I think United had 57% of the ball compared to Villarreal's 43%. And they just couldn't do anything with it. I thought that Marcus Rashford had probably his poorest game in a Manchester United shirt. Not to say that he deserved the horrific abuse he got afterwards on social media, which absolutely needs to out. He put the effort out. in though, didn't he? And I thought that from a lot of United players last night. I thought McTominay, Luke Shaw, yeah. Marcus Rashford, they were fighting for it. Yeah, I thought McTominay had a really good second half. I thought he was a little bit of a passenger in the first. I thought Paul Pogba actually had quite a good game in that deeper role. A few question marks over the team selection, but you're right, Jim. The quality that Manchester United had on the pitch should have been enough to break down a Villarreal side that finished seventh in this season's La Liga. And I think Marley pointed it out on yesterday's podcast that if they were a Premier League side with the amount of points they got, they would have finished bang in mid-table, 10th, you know, 58 mm. points or whatever. It would have just have been enough to get above Aston Villa. But this is an interesting question. You talk about the players that Villarreal have got in their team and we always pick up the Premier League and say it's the best league in Europe, it's the most competitive league in Europe and... You know, when players come to these shores, the question is always, oh, can they adapt to life in the Premier League? Well, take a look at this Villarreal squad, right? They've got Unai Emery, a manager who was basically hounded out of Arsenal. Mm. He guided them to the Europa League final. Yeah, they were embarrassed by Chelsea in the end in Baku. But look at the look at the squad. If you take the manager aside, players like, I know he didn't play last night, Ramiro Funes More, once of Everton, Juan Foyth, as Marley says, on loan from Spurs. Players like Etienne Capoue, Francis Coquelin came on as a substitute, formerly of Arsenal. Alberto Moreno, once of Liverpool. So these are all players that people have said are past it, aren't good enough to play in the Premier League. Scrappy players, aren't they? They've picked them up for cheap. Exactly, yeah. Players that are almost off-cuts from Premier League sides that don't think they're good enough. And I guess maybe there was a bit of a a point to prove there because there's plenty of, you know, uh, Premier League links inside that squad. And... um, I just thought what was really interesting was the passion that Unai Emery showed when the Villarreal players were in the huddle before the penalty shootout. 
he was screaming vamos vamos like i've never seen anyone mm. or ever seen emery do that so do you think that's a failing comparing that to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in that situation because Solskjaer was very much on the periphery of that Manchester United huddle and that was being led by mm. Paul Pogba uh, so is that a failings for Solskjaer as a manager to not have that ability to maybe shout and scream and motivate in the same way as an Unai Emery or an Alex Ferguson would have done I don't think that's fair to say that I think the players know and Marcus Rashford gave an excellent post-match interview in which he was exasperated and I've never seen him so animated before but I think the players know what this meant for the manager, mm. what this meant for them as a group, what this meant for their respective process in terms of becoming a force in English football and European football again. Sir Alex Ferguson was sat watching on in the stands. It was the anniversary of the 99 final in which Solskjaer famously won it for Manchester United to give them a treble. So, you know, I, I don't think the motivation was required from the manager. I think that when you get to that situation, you need to be motivated. The one thing I did think that, you know, you talk about scrappy players in, in the Villarreal team, David De Gea, I like David De Gea a lot. I'm a big fan. I always have been. I think he's been an excellent performer, consistent enough over the 10 years he's been there. But I didn't see any attempt to try and put off any of the penalty takers. There was one moment maybe with two or three penalties to go, by which point already eight had been taken, Mm -hmm. where he took a little bit longer getting into his goal, putting the pressure on the penalty taker. The previous six or seven penalties before that, he didn't do it, he just stood there and dived. Mm. Whereas you see, think back to, you know, Jersey Dudek in goal for Liverpool, jumping up and down, wobbly legs, touching the crossbar, kicking the post, walking up uh, and standing next to the penalty taker near the penalty spot. Just mind games because the advantage is with the attacker now from penalties because keepers can't jump off their line and all of that stuff. So, you know, in, in terms of mentality and maybe a bit of nous and wisdom to win a final when it comes down to penalties. I just wanted to see a little bit more of that. And, you know, when it comes down to the desire to win, I I think you're right. I think in that moment we saw, you know, Villarreal wants it more, which is a disappointment. We'll come on to the penalties shortly because, I mean, the game should have never gone to penalties in the first place. I think that's the feeling from many Manchester United fans. How much does Solskjaer have to take the blame for that, Marley? Because the general criticism has been... He didn't make changes when he should have made changes and that game should have been won in 90 minutes. Yeah, um, I mean, I I remember looking at the game, I think when the commentators first mentioned that they'd not made a sub, I was like, really? And then I looked at at the app, um, looked at my app that I had and I was looking at the the time, it was like 85 minutes and I looked at the bench and I thought, well, who is there on the bench? I mean, that that you'd back to come on and change a game. Like, Juan Matters, all he's played two games in... in, six months more maybe van der Beek would obviously be be the obvious one but he's barely played all season Solskjaer seems to just not know where to play him or not trust what he can do or what whatever the problem is um and then you got you know Alex Tellers at left back I mean you're not going to change your left back when you're chasing it then you're looking at Dan James his pace is ineffective against somebody who's defending so deep Ahmad is Ahmad Diallo he's what 18 19 he's mm. never he's, he's got no experience in this thing you don't know what he's going to do so does it come down to a lack of depth for Manchester United essentially maybe but mm. I mean hindsight is a wonderful thing obviously but you'd maybe look at um, if you had that chance again maybe start someone else and bring like a Rashford or a Greenwood off the bench and then if you see them coming on with 10 minutes to go or 15 20 minutes to go you're thinking oh god right there's the, there's their plan B but with, with how Solskjaer set up I don't blame him for playing his, his strongest team, of course. Of course you do. But if it doesn't work, you run that risk of having no plan B and having no one come off the bench. 
because in the end he's used two of his subs um, to prepare for penalties, Matter and Tellus, and he brought them on in 122 minutes and the first kick was to, to take penalties and it worked because they mm. both scored. Yeah. Um, but there was no plan B in open play and you you kind of seen that um, play out. You could see they were struggling for uh, inspiration. You could see all the playmakers were struggling. Um, and other than maybe Juan Mata, who you're hoping you can roll back the years if you put him on, you're not really, uh, you're not really giving yourself anything to bring off the bench. Yeah. I do wonder whether maybe Manchester United could have attacked deeper, if that makes sense, because the fullbacks, Wambasaka and Luke Shaw, were quite defensive fullbacks last night. They're defensive players, really, particularly for Wambasaka. And maybe having fullbacks that pushed on a little more would have given them that extra attacking impetus. But then do they have the personnel to do that? I guess that's a big mm. question mark. And the, the defensive personnel has come under question, particularly last night, because with Harry Maguire missing, it was mm. Eric Bailly and Lindelof as the centre-back pairing. Were they at fault for the Villarreal goal? Yeah, they were. And it's something that's plagued Manchester United for far too long, conceding from a set-piece. Mm. You know, you can go through the last five or six times Manchester United have lost a game, and I will almost guarantee that at least 50% of those games they've lost they've conceded from a set piece there along the way because it's something that they've really struggled with even with Maguire in the team they've struggled to defend set pieces it's a real issue that Solskjaer needs to address it was almost inevitable after the season or the end of the season that United have had in terms of conceding set pieces that they were gonna ship a goal to one last night and they and they did you know I think that Moreno is always going to be the danger. We spoke about it on yesterday's podcast about how many goals he scored. I think he's the first uh, Villarreal player to score more than 30 goals in a season. So he's having a remarkable campaign and that's reflected in the fact that he's sort of Spain's premier striker that they're taking to the Euros with them. You know, but he was always going to be the danger. Mm. So what do you want to do to their most dangerous player at a set piece? You want to put your biggest, strongest, fastest player on that person and they didn't do that. He got the run, I think, on Scott McTominay and then he, he went round the back of Bailly and then he got in front of Lindelof. It's a good run for Moreno. It's a teasing ball and, and he's managed to to slide it home. But Manchester United do have issues there. And, and listen, that is a problem position. You know, you see the impact of Harry Maguire and people say that, you know, he's not worth the money that United spends on him. But when you take him out of the team... You see how effective he actually is. Mm. And it's not even so much that he is this silky smooth ball playing centre half. He, You can't compare him to Van Dyke. I just think whether it's body shape or body language or whatever, Van Dyke always looks more cool and cultured. composed and cultured on the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas Maguire looks a little bit more rough around the edges and rugged and, you know, he'll head a cannonball back at him back <laughs> if you if you fired one at him. So um, that doesn't mean to say that he can't do all of those things. And you know, it's partly the leadership, I think, mm. as well, which he offers, which maybe you don't really see in post-match interviews and stuff like that. But clearly he is their best defender and there's no doubt about that. So that is a problem position because with Phil Jones having a serious knee injury, he's not played for ages. Axel Twanzebe hasn't really played much. Eric Bailly is very, very injury prone and I think tried a bicycle kick to clear a ball last <laughs> night, which was just <laughs> the most ridiculous <laughs> thing. It's my favourite bit oh of the whole game. Though. And I looked back at... I was looking back on social media because I wanted to see a replay of the bicycle kick because they didn't show it enough for my liking in the replays. They didn't show and, it at all. And he's tried, but there's like loads of clips of Eric Bailly trying bicycle click, kicks at both ends of the pitch. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, he misses the ball completely. Yeah. So it's clearly his thing. One of my favourite Twitter accounts is out of context Eric Bailly. <laughs> and every time Man United play, they, he, he, he puts on Twitter like... Uh, 
I'm going for a 23rd minute in Baye, bingo. And it's like, it's it's the prediction on when he'll do something crazy. And then last night, obviously, he tries... It's not even on the bicycle kick. It's like, it's sort of chest height and he tries to contort himself to, to get it away. It made no sense. I know, almost, very nearly conceded. We're very lucky, actually, not to concede from that. But mm. it's Baye all, all over. There's never a dull moment. We've talked a lot about Manchester United's failings. We're probably going to gloss over their success in terms of the Cavani goal. It was the type of goal that Cavani scores. He looks sharp at the moment and it's exactly the reason Manchester United have him. It's good he's sticking around for an extra season. But we need to move on to the main talking point, which is the penalties. Ended 11-10. I can't remember the last time I saw a penalty shootout like that. I thought with the wet conditions, with the tired legs, there were going to be some rotters last night in terms of the penalty (laughs) shootout. But the quality, Marley, was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was mint. <laughs> Literally, not one missed the target. Like no, none went in off the post or or anything. It was uh, it was crazy. I was <laughs> as it just went on and on and on. I was thinking like, how long are we going? Is everyone going to take a second penalty? And then mm. I thought we're only three good penalties away from seeing goalkeepers. And we and all I, wanted that. I last love time. seeing goalkeepers. <laughs> and it's, uh, the one I worried about was um, was Luke Shaw. And it, that was that nearly came through when he it sort of slipped under mm. his hand. And for Villarreal, I worried about Albiol because yeah. he's a big, aggressive centre back. I thought he's going to thunder it and it might go flying. And he just rolled, just rolled it in the corner. Yeah. And Villarreal like, had the better set of penalties. You were judging yeah, the definitely. two. Oh yeah, because they they didn't miss. <laughs> <laughs> Even the last one, like Pau Torres, like I was thinking, I know he he can play. He's he's decent on the ball, but. You know, can he can he slot a penalty? He went and sticks it top corner, and I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ! Even even Rudley, the goalie, yeah. his penalty weren't that bad. But they should have just screwed it. They should have scored them all, right, Jim? You know, like like yeah. you say with darts. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different to darts. <laughs> very different. darts, 180 every time. Otherwise, you're not very good. Uh, same with bowling. Um, I mean, can, can we blame David De Gea for that last night, uh, Niall? Because I mean, he. he he probably didn't have much of a chance to save many of those penalties because you the quality be, was so high. You can definitely be disappointed that he didn't save one of 10 penalties. Yes. Mm, I, I 11, think, or 11, so 11 If you look at his record in saving penalties, it's poor. Yeah. Whereas if you compare it to, you know, the person who he's vying with for the number one shirt at Manchester United, Dean Henderson, I think he's saved almost half of his penalties, Henderson. That he's faced, I think, is it nineteen penalties? Henderson's but faced. You, you can't pick a goalkeeper going into a game. Based no, you on can't. Their performance and and David De Gea was absolutely hey, you the can right take, choice. You can sub him off like Van Gaal did with yeah. uh, with Tim Krull. Mm-hmm. Abs- absolutely the right choice to go with David De Gea for me. Um, however, I thought he should have blasted his penalty at the end rather than was, side foot. It, it was weak. Was it weak though? Because if the keeper dives the other way, it's a good pen. Never saying oh, but fair play De Gea, you know. But that's quite often to do with the body shape, and I don't know whether a goalkeeper has that. Yeah, has that ability. Well, the to, other goalkeeper stuck it, it in yeah. the top bins. Yeah, so, exactly. um, listen, I think that if you look at penalty records, there is something to be said for the fact that De Gea's record is poor. Eleven out of seventy-five penalties faced now he's saved. Now, to me, that's not really good enough. So, what's that? One in seven, roughly, penalties that he saves. Mm. Um, and there's only been one penalty save in the last five years. So you and know that was a retake, and that was it. Against retake. Crystal Palace, yeah, was it? He really? saved the retake, yeah. right? Okay, so if you're thinking about it in that way, one in seven penalties is saved. On face value, you might think, okay, that's not too bad. But when you boil it down to a penalty shootout, it's five penalties. Hmm. So if your keeper's not saving one of those five penalties, you've not really got a chance of winning the shootout because then it goes to sudden death. And then if you're still in it, if one of your players hasn't missed by then, that's when you've got the chance to win the game. So actually. 
goalkeepers, really, they should be aiming to save at least one in five penalties at the very, very least. Now, there is technique behind it and diving which way and what way and knowing when to stand up and when to to you know move to the side. We saw one from the Aguero penalty where Mendy, I think, just caught the ball because he stood still. If Mendy dives out of the way, it's a good penalty from Aguero, you know, in that game a few weeks ago. But yeah, I think you can be disappointed in De Gea. I also feel, felt awful for him when he missed mm. because it's just, you know, it's not his job to score penalties. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, United fell short at that hurdle. But as you say before, you know, United should never have got to that point in the first place. So, yeah, definitely disappointment. And, yeah, I, I do feel that there are a couple of penalties where he really should have got closer to them. Well, congratulations, Villarreal. They are Europa League champions. Let's hope for a better game quality-wise when the Champions League rolls around in a few days' time. Manchester City versus Chelsea. But we're not done with this final yet. We're going to be speaking to Manchester United legend Alan Tung and his reaction to the game next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the post-mortem on last night's Europa League final. Villarreal 1, Manchester United 1 continues. Villarreal winning after an epic penalty shootout. To help us dig a little deeper into that game, joined by former Manchester United midfielder Alan Tung. How are you doing, Alan? You OK? Hey, Jim. Yeah, not so bad, are you? Not too bad. How are the emotions this morning? How are you feeling? Yeah, really disappointed. Flat like, you know, the majority of Man United uh, supporters this morning just... Um, just try to come to terms with it, really. What's gone on last night? Um, really, really down, and uh, you know it's in a, in a sort of a, a funny state this morning, really. But you know, like anything else, life goes on, doesn't it? So we're gonna have to try and find something, some positivity to try and sort of move us on and get us going again. Do you think that was potentially part of the issue last night? Because the general energy I was getting from Manchester United fans, at least, was. There was an expectation that Manchester United were going to win it. And not just win it, they were going to walk it as well. Do you think that might have filtered down to the players on the night and there was a little bit of complacency that potentially crept into the performance? Absolutely, yeah. You know, if you if you look at the sort of the context of the game, you know, you're thinking it you're thinking it's like an anniversary of ninety nine, you're thinking it's um uh, the anniversary of Sir Matt Busby's birthday, you're thinking, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's travelled with the party, etc. etc. So it's like it's all this build up, isn't it? And you're thinking well, surely the destiny is going to point towards Oli getting these first trophy over the line here. But you know, looking at the the context and the, and the general sort of performance last night, sort of like just didn't live up to expectations at all. And it was really disappointing. I don't know whether that's a mixture of Man United or some of the bigger players that United have not turning up on the night. I don't know whether there's a, you can throw a little bit of um, you know a bit of tactical nous and awareness from, from Unai Emery in there, who's kind of suppress United in it in a kind of a way. So I think there's a little bit of a, a mixture of things going on, but but largely uh, just really, really disappointing um, from the performance from United. They, you know, put, putting it simply, they didn't deserve to win it really, did they? You mentioned Unai Emery there. We know what he's done in the Europa League and his record in that competition. From a man who's played the game, how important is it a manager's experience in that kind of situation and the influence he can have on his players. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like anything else. Your managers are paid for to make big decisions, aren't they? And I think, you know, looking at the the sort of situation last night, I think Emery kind of got his tactics spot on. Really, he, he tried to suppress Man United. He had like a sort of a his team had a decent shape. You know, they 
the um, decay United to sort of limited chances. I think United only had two shots on target in the, in the whole of the game. I know. On the flip side to that, I know Villarreal only had one shot on target, but um, it wasn't the best. Was I, don't, it? <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, yeah, no. So it wasn't the most exciting throw in the games, but but I think you know, like you look at that a bit deeper, and you're thinking, well, that, that's probably like what Emery's tried to do. He's, he's kind of like tried to sort of keep United in check. You know, United tried to sort of press high early on and tried to you know only picked a, a reasonably attacking side, so it, you know it looked quite exciting at the start of the game, but. Um, they just didn't really uh, carve out any clear cut chances, to be fair. And you know, he, even the equaliser from Cavani, like, had a bit of good fortune about it. I think it was um, was it Rashford who hit it, and then it kind of like just dropped for him. Then a bit of de- deflection sort of thing, and mm-hmm. he just had a tap in. Um, so, so yeah. So like, you know, you think about Emery, and you think about uh, decision making. I think probably looking at um, some of the decisions last night. Um, I think Emery sort of like made better ones than, than Ollie Solskjaer did. Looking forward for Manchester United, Alan, what do you think the next steps are? Because obviously for some of those players last night, unfortunately for them, it would have been their Manchester United swan songs. I know Juan Mata looked quite emotional the other day against Wolves and there were a few question marks over some other players in the squad. And you just think that after the game, they probably would have just had a couple of pints and and gone back to their hotel room. So it's a big couple of weeks just in terms of sorting out the logistics of the squad for Solskjaer, isn't it? It is, you know. I think I think what's kind of not working in Ollie's favour at the moment is like, you know, like another season's ticked by there. We're not winning anything. So, you know, like United the last time they won something was 2017. Like, we're, you know, we're two, we're going into the 2021, 2022 season now. So every season that ticks by and you don't get anything over the line, it, it cranks up more and more pressure, doesn't it? So. Uh, and I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not a great fan of all this. So you need to buy again, you need to buy again. You know, how, how much is it about buying players and how much is it, you know, trying to get the best out of the players that you have? Mm. You know, I think one of the big things last night for me why United lost that game is like the bigger players didn't turn up on the occasion. They're like Rashford had a really poor game. Yeah. Uh, Fernandez didn't really do much. Uh, Pogba didn't really do much. So, so you want these big players to turn up for you in a really, really special occasion to try and get a trophy over the line. And, and they simply didn't. And I think with them not turning up and coupled in a few other factors as well, it, it wasn't a surprise that unfortunately United didn't do the business and uh, you know and ended up with a really really disappointing outcome. How does that leave the season then? Because obviously, I think if United had won the Europa League, that would have been a great season, finishing second, winning the trophy, first trophy since Jose Mourinho won it four years ago, whatever it was now. So what? does the season look like now looking back on it obviously the the wounds are still raw from last night but at the end of the day that gap between Manchester United and the top of the table has been narrowed it was 13 points this season compared to whatever it was last season 20 odd last season or something wasn't it so there has been progress made over the last 12 months even if it's not quite as much progress as most Manchester United fans would want yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. It's been a funny season, hasn't it? Because obviously a lot of it's been played sort of behind closed doors, like with, you know, we know fans and so there's, there's all that sort of factor to to sort of consider. But, you know, it, it's like, OK, we've got we've got to second early. So you can argue that, you know, there has been a bit of improvement there because you like cl- closed the, the gap uh, down on, on Man City. Um, but we were, we were in this situation a few seasons ago where, I think Mourinho had got United into second and you're thinking over the summer he's going to like, you know, be backed and supported and get some top players in to try and close the gap down again. So so arguably, I think it, it is a crucial month or two to see if 
if United can land a few sort of recruitments that are kind of coming into into prominence. You know, I'm talking like lads you know, like Harry Kane or Jaden Sancho. You know, like really, really high quality players. But the problem that we have now is from years gone by. You know, Man United like is a, it would be a really attractive proposition to come to as a side because they were dominating, they were winning trophies. But now you've like you've got all the top sides in as well, you know, like so you know, I'm sure Harry Kane, like there'll be about five or six clubs wanting to talk to him and um and, and you know, you Sancho probably a better chance of landing him to be fair. Um but mm. yeah, you know, United arguably have improved a little bit, but I think there's still there's still that squad depth I think is a real key issue. You know, you look at City's bench, it's different class. You know, you look at United's bench and you think you're like, how many in United's bench would be getting like your top sides down in the Premier League? They, they just wouldn't. So, so I think I think it's always that that way of trying to constantly improve your your squad and your side. But you know, the, there's there's definitely still a substantial bit of work for Oli Solskjaer to do. You know, if he gets the chance to do that. Before I let you go, Alan, you've played the game for a long time. The highlight of last night's game, after quite a dull 120 minutes, was that penalty shootout, the likes of which comes around so rarely. And even me as a West Ham fan, I was sitting there with my heart in my mouth watching it. <laughs> um, have you ever been involved in anything like that as a player? And what kind of pressure does that bring? Well, it, it, it's that, isn't it? They always say, don't they? They say that, you know, like the penalties is a, is a lottery, really, because it's a completely different context to the, the 120 minutes that you've just played. You get one opportunity from the spot to try and slot your penalty home. So anxiety is high. I think one of the dangers is in, in penalties is, is your brain starts creeping into the future if you're not careful. And you're thinking, uh, you know, if your brain's not under control, you're thinking, what are the press going to say if, I, if I'm the missing person? Um, that has impacts on your sort of your physical self. Your body starts shutting down a little bit. Um, but, you know, up until, you know, 21 penalties sort of taken last night. And I, and I thought, like, most of them were, like, quality, weren't they? There was mm. a... There was a few penalties where you thought, oh, keeper, you know, that was just gone under his hand, or he should have got that. Or, but I think one of the things last night was quite surprising. I believe that Fernandez won the toss and um, made the decision for United to go second. Mm. So I'm not too sure whether that was kind of the right one or not. Because if, if you go first and miss, you've still got the other team. They've got the pressure of having to score. And I thought, what was happening last night is is Villarreal just kept putting United under pressure all the time, like they'd score and then. United had to step up and try and score, which, you know, they were doing. And uh, I said to my son, Sam, like he was watching the game, I thought, there's going to be a villain in a minute, unfortunately. That, that's what happens in, in high-performance sport, especially in penalty shootouts. And unfortunately, it was uh, <laughs> it was David De Gea. Mm. It, it, really, I, it was a feeble penalty, wasn't it? But at the end of the day, yeah, what do you expect off a goalkeeper? I'm not sure. So, you know, like um, when, when he missed that, like all United fans' hearts broke, didn't they? And, uh, and that was the end of that. There has been a bit of research done, actually, that suggests that going first in a penalty shootout is advantageous. So it's very rare that if you win a toss, you do select the second kick. But that's what happened last night. And as you said, Manchester United have to wait another year for a trophy. Alan, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks very much for joining us on Football Social Daily. OK, Jim, top man. Thank you. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you've hit follow so you'll get the next podcast as soon as it's ready. There's one game left of the season, one European final next. It is Manchester City versus Chelsea in the Champions League. We'll have the build-up to that on Friday's podcast. 
So if you have any interest in that game, make sure you have clicked subscribe and you'll get all the episodes when they are ready. If you want the latest transfer news or the latest news on your team, you can find it all on the Sports Social website, sport-social.co.uk.